I did a logo for the Finnish gold reserves, an unofficial Finnish gold reserves, like a gold um, reseller, recycler, and you know storage place in Helsinki, Finland. And the gold bar, they paid part of their invoice in ten grams of twenty-four karat gold, and I got this little package of FedEx from the post, and I posted FedEx. about it, and everyone was like, "Don't open the package because it devalues the gold." I was like, "Fuck you! I want to hold it, I want to have it in my hands, and like, rub it every day for luck." And so yeah, and that was amazing though, because because I was like, "Okay, I want some gold. Let's do a little switch my services here." You're listening to the Angry Designer cut through the industry bull to help frustrated graphic designers survive and thrive. What's up, angry designers? So I'm trolling Instagram like I normally do. And um, on a daily basis, as well as Reddit and TikTok and everywhere else where I find inspiration. And there is this haunting, handsome guy following me <laughs> everywhere I go. It's like, I Stop see it. him here. I see him Stop here. It. He's telling me these stories and I'm just, it's, it's, it's creeping me out everywhere I look. I mean, this guy's <laughs> face is all over the place and he's giving us good information. And sure enough, doesn't he reach out and be like, you guys are crazy. I mean, you know, just stop. And conversation started and we are here today to present our friend from down under, but maybe not quite so down under, Mr. James Bernard. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I properly stalked you guys, didn't I? I was like, please don't be on the podcast. We're this uh, close to yeah. a restraining Everyone order, dude. <laughs> But you know, in Canada, restraining order is please stop. Yeah, please, yeah, please stop yeah. following. Sorry, oh, sorry, you're hurting stop. our feelings. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. What's up, man? It's amazing to finally actually chat to you guys in person. I'm a big, big fan of the podcast. Yes. Uh, like we were saying before, thank wow. you. Uh, I um, discovered you guys via Alan Peters, so I'm quite new to your podcast, and you know, maybe only so a month or two of uh, episodes I've actually listened to. But you know, I'm hoping you guys are going to be as chipper as you normally are because um, <laughs> it's seven a.m. where you are, you're early, coffee right? rather than the bourbon today, aren't you? Yeah, there's no bourbon. There is Starbucks, it's so um, we'll we'll, right. we'll keep away the from the stuff. bourbon. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> today we tried yes we did this week's was yes, yes. yeah it's it's seven in the morning here so we got up extra early for you but Thank for you, you it's 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 like 10 at night right nine o'clock at night nine o'clock so at night yeah but this is like standard for me you know because of the horrible time difference in australia i am oh, constantly right. um burning the midnight oil and like especially when i want to talk to places like london in business hours i've got to be kind of pulling these hours so i just start a little bit later in the morning i start my day at like midday and just work from there so this is a normal thing then see because i just assumed if people down down in australia i mean it's, it's it's a big enough country to hold its own but you're right this is so much a global economy right now what we're dealing with what we do we serve every corner of the earth so i guess you do have to accommodate a little bit eh yeah absolutely i think that's one of the reasons why i've had so much success with the kind of logo design business and the sort of social media side of things is because i'm targeting places like the states places like you know europe and, and england where i'm from but i can live the life in australia and where they don't pay anything for graphic design right? <laughs> yeah, it's like right. trying to get paid down here so yeah it's, it makes sense for me to kind of target that global market and there's no reason that i really need to be in a sort of time zone where it's more convenient other than i get a little bit more sleep but yeah you know if i can target that the world as my client then uh, i'm absolutely 
absolutely going to do that. It is good. So you did say something funny, though. See, all this time, I mean, let's just expose you as a fraud here right now, because all this time, I thought you were Australian, <laughs> right? You got the accent from Brisbane, you know, you, you drop, you know, the Australian vibe. And then Brisbane, hi, Brisbane, Brisbane. Yeah. And Brisbane. then and then we find out. You're not. You're, you're UK. You're like an expat, and you moved to Australia, which I thought was I impossible to do. I thought they just—it was a closed country, and they didn't let anybody in. <laughs> and you jumped in at the worst possible time, didn't you? I did. I emigrated in the middle of the pandemic during That's... a lockdown. So, right. So the story is: I'm from the UK. I'm yep. English. We lived in London with my Australian wife, who was missing the sort of call of home. So, in 2021, it was we packed up, rented out our house, got on a plane, landed in Brisbane, which is where her parents live, which is the reason we sort of targeted this area. We had to do two weeks of quarantine in a hotel in Brisbane with That's a right. two-year-old yeah. daughter. So we were stuck in... We Luckily, we got a suite, okay? So we got really lucky. Like, the stories of other people got these tiny little rooms and had to stay in there for two weeks. We got a suite. We, had, we were allowed beer delivered, so it wasn't that bad. We had a kitchenette, <laughs> and there was a TV, and, like, you know, it wasn't, you know, we couldn't get weird things delivered. Like, they wouldn't let us have, like, gym equipment, so we couldn't even do, like, any kind of remote working out. We had to go on YouTube and just jump up and down in the living room and stay active. <laughs> Your daughter's thinking it's like, you know, yes. Yeah, so what are you doing? Well, we, used, we used her as, like, a weight, because it was the only thing yeah, we could fair. Uh, I would, you so she sat on our back while we were doing press-ups and Got stuff. Got to get mileage out of having yeah. children, I agree. That's right, yeah. <laughs> also, they're good for otherwise. But you know what's kind of cool? Just... <laughs> oh, we can have a lot of stories Wait, about that, my I'd friend. I smell yeah. a spin-off, The Angry Parent. Would you be our first guess? Yeah, that's the next guess. It's nothing to do with design, just talk about <laughs> how shit it is ugly. being a dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh god dude i got four kids yeah so okay. my youngest wow. is seven and my my oldest is 14 i got two in the middle there it's i'm almost suspicious of anybody that has more than two kids i'm like are you just like <laughs> into sort of self-flagellation like, right the jump like, from two to three is unreal yeah, that's it just jump from one to two was enough for me I've, I've a, i have a two-year-old and a four-year-old yeah and they beat the shit out of me you're in, the middle. you're in the middle you're in the middle it's it's I, I tell everybody like i'm in the trenches right now because it's like <laughs> Full on like labor and like psychological warfare as well. My daughter, she's just like, I'm not talking to you, daddy, I'm talking to mommy. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Wait till she turns 12. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Please don't. Jeez. Oh, oh my God. That's amazing. So, so, I mean, the Australia jump over was kind of interesting, obviously. You know, and I mean, now it, it was crazy back then. You're kind of probably looking at some really good memories. But what about adjusting? I mean, your business was at what stage when you made this jump? Pretty new in terms of like the, the niching down thing. So, I went freelance, I think it was like seven or eight years ago. But when the sort of pandemic hit, my daughter was, I think, like one mm-hmm. or, or something like that. She's really, really young. And at that time, I was doing the stay-at-home dad thing. My wife earned way more than I did. So she uh, you know, carried on at work, and I did the stay-at-home dad thing for something like 10 or 11 months, just sort of keeping a freelance career trickling along with the odd client here or there that I could do when she was asleep, but nowhere near as kind of like upscaled as I did when I got here. And when I got here, I kind of really sort of ramped it up a lot more. I did a lot more work on my website and the SEO side of things. And then, well, actually, I had really good SEO in London, but just before I left, so I think like logo designer London was the key term that I'd like nailed. I was top for that. Cool. It was freelance logo designer London. I was number one on Google. Nice. I was like, yes. And then wow. I moved to Australia and fucked it all. So um, 
had to kind of start from scratch in that respect. And then, um, yeah, just a few things happened and, and it kind of got the ball rolling on social media. And then when, when that all kind of took off, that was just absolutely... Yeah, I was going to say, because social media is a hard game right now. That has changed. You know, there used to be mm-hmm. a point where, you know, you could you could work on your site, you could start getting decent rankings, you know, you could play the game because you could, you know, almost understand what Google was looking for. But then they started mm-hmm. unloading all these new domains. You know, now, you you know, it's not just .com, .ca, but then there's like .it. Every country's got their own yeah, dot. I have then a they have co. A, I couldn't right. get a .com. Yeah, right. which is crazy, right? Co. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so now there's not, not. You're not battling one site. You're battling twenty sites with the same name and with the same title. It just seems like it's almost an impossible game at this point to try to win. Are you still focusing on SEO? Have you switched over to social? It's social. It's such a massive swing in terms of leads for me. I think it's like 85% I worked out the other day is all from, as my leads is from social media. Wow. And so I got to go where the love is, right? If, if that's, if there's that many leads coming through from there, then I'm totally going to start, you know, creating content for, for them. But I, I do like, I have a blog on my site, so I'm trying to keep the content sort of fresh and I obviously update the portfolio. So it is kind of keeping the, yes, Google was still here kind of, you know, mentality yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, keeping the content still going. But yeah, in those early days when I was, trying a bit harder with SEO. It wasn't that hard, honestly. I just I wrote a few articles, changed the, the structure of the content on my site, got a little bit of a website background, like I used to know WordPress, so I could just do a few things and, and write some articles and change the landing pages and just put a lot of keywords in there. And in the space of like a couple of months, there I was, number one for freelance wow. logo designer London. And that really helped. Like it, you know, the leads went crazy, but it was enough to keep me going. Enough to keep you going in the flip side until you built up this side. So your story, though, even getting into this is a lot different than the rest of us. I mean, you know, some people had the very traditional story, you know, schooling, out of school, you know, internship. I kind of always knew what I wanted. You were more traditional, mm-hmm. you know, and then freelance. to go. So you kind of went into this backwards because you start. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's talk about your story. I mean, again, you went to yeah. school for music, multimedia and electronics. Oh, I was a drummer that wanted to be oh. a record producer. Uh, yeah, I used to play drums right? in, in a, a band drummer? in school. Hey. See, it's, it's hey. like I'm looking at the same guy here. Look, doppelganger. <laughs> you guys look the yeah. same. Sorry. Dude, I, I wish I still had a drum kit. Like, oh, it was you one don't of the play things anymore. I kind of had to, I can't, know. I just can't. There's like neighbors everywhere and the kids are destroy it. So when I get rich and famous, I'm going to get a room and, uh, you know, that isn't the corner, you know, of the, of the house for my office. It's going to be a room with padded and, you know, um, yeah, egg boxes on the walls yeah. and the yes. soundproof stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to be a music producer. So I went to school to study that and I learned like pro tools and all of the uh, sort of sound engineering side of things. And, but one of my modules at university was, HTML. So mm. we learnt like table based websites, and this would have been like 2003, 2006. Yeah, I, forget. I remember. Sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> so I learned my first website was built on this sort of university servers in in tables. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then and I kind of picked up Photoshop to compress a few images. But then I, I went to a job as a researcher in London. I just basically moved to London, tried to find a job, and ended up as this researcher for this sort of PR database. And obviously, I worked there for like four years and really, really, you know, didn't enjoy it because it was just kind of grunt office work and database entry, super, super demoralizing stuff. But on on the, in the job, I um, picked up a copy of Photoshop to create a company intranet and kind of started the side hobby of wanting to be a web designer, made right. a company intranet in WordPress for the entire staff and they loved it. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I, I started doing sort of 
free websites on the side for like a local chiropractor and a local interior designer. And I look back on them now, and it was they were beyond shit. But oh, yeah, wow. I was doing them for free. <laughs> there was I thought they were amazing at the time. But they, you they get was, what you pay for. I gave them away. <laughs> yeah, I used it as like to build a portfolio. I think I got yeah. like three or four websites. So I started out as like a web designer, designer. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I used that portfolio. <laughs> Commons portfolio to get a job. I totally blagged a job at Runner's World magazine in London. So at the time I was quite I was into running, I was running marathons and and I, I thought there's a total sort of marry up here. I've got a little bit of design skills, but I'm a super junior, but I'm totally into running. Maybe they'll take me on because of my kind of passion for, you know, jogging at the time. Awesome. At the time. And they were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So I got a, a proper junior role at the age of like 25. I went backwards and took a massive pay cut to take on this junior design role and I was basically thrown in the deep end creating digital banners flash adverts email newsletters little landing pages for this sort of um, the advertising side of this magazine yep. and then while I was there obviously surrounded by magazine designers learned print so it was backwards for me I started absolutely learned print on the job so to this day, I feel completely out of my comfort zone in print still. It's because it's always eh? like a secondary thing for me. So yeah, when I heard your podcast about all of these little print techniques, I was like, yes, I am good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's such a like, it, it, it's this hole that people don't know. Because I mean, it's still a very viable medium in our world. Granted, it's not the number one because so much of the world has gone digital, but it's completely the opposite. Like the little bit of print knowledge that you think you have is miles ahead of what's already out there, which is really sad. Because I mean, mm. even in school, they're not doing a great job teaching it. You don't hear, you know, many people, obviously, you know, we've got some people and some acquaintances, um, like our friend from the Quickie podcast, mm -hmm. who's, you know, mm. trying to make an effort to teach people print, but it seems like it's, people aren't giving it the love it needs. No. I know. You know, I did a I did a post on my socials about Rich Black. I remember yes. that. It's beautiful. It's so nerdy. I love it. I know it was. It was proper geek out. But it, <laughs> the comments, it, I was blown away by the the amount of people that just had no idea about it. I thought I was teaching people to suck eggs. I was like, you, you guys have heard about this before, right? And then everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, and then it was just nuts. Like, so just little things like that. I was like, okay, well then that's interesting. Maybe I'll just do it a little bit more. Uh, content around that and started doing a couple of posts about like why you print in cmyk versus rgb and again that one blew up and it's like okay well people fucking don't know anymore i know no one's de designing for print but i mean don't they see the difference because i mean they're they're designing something digitally when you do print it out whether it's a business card or a flyer or whatever you can see it doesn't look like on screen and you'd think people mm. would make more of a connection but i'm just wondering if people are accepting shitty colored print documents nowadays i you know Maybe. like it's, it's just everywhere a lot of our clients assert we focus very much on the b2b side of the world right so print yeah. is still very big you know there's still a lot of trade shows there's still a lot of face-to-face -face meetings but the other side you know i'm wondering so much of the b2c world is done online that i i, I wonder if print is even you know obviously it's not as important as as, as we feel yeah. it is yeah i think there's some something to be said about the kind of the methods to do the print material these days, like specifically when you're getting merch printed yes. on something like Redbubble or, you know, one of those printable websites, their software is so good at conversion that you kind of don't need to worry about it. They sort, they kind of handle that all for you. So you can force through this beautiful RGB image and yeah. they'll just kind of go, we, we know what to do and they'll, they'll fix it for you and, and match it up. So yeah, then maybe there's this kind of like a sort of skill like a miss of skills there, like where there's like you kind of getting away with it for so long, you don't actually have to to, to actually push print. 
But you have yeah. to admit, when you get a package, when you get, um, you know, my wife subscribes to these boxes that come in and they're just, they're beautiful, like the colors and then the experience and opening it, you know, there is something to be said. It's it's very analog, the experience, right? You're opening, yeah. you're touching, you're feeling, it's the crinkling of the paper. You know, even yeah. one of the best experiences about buying a flipping Apple product is that opening experience, the box opening package yeah. experience, Definitely. right? So, yeah, yeah there's it's, it's something that I, I um, loved because I started out as a digital designer, anytime I had something printed in the office or I got to work on like a magazine page, I was like, oh, I get to hold it. And no one gives a shit when you design, design something online and you share it on Facebook. Look what I did in it. Yeah, yeah. But when you can hold it in your hands and go, look, I made that. That's fucking amazing. It's so true, like, right? It does. <laughs> All right. So, so then you went, you were in the magazine world for then quite a while, right? And you were, you were actually learning on the job design. Like, did you ever make the jump to actually designing some layouts and such? Yeah, I did. So they um, they got me to do the promotional pages for Runners World and Men's Health magazine. So I, I was, again, thrown in the deep end, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was throwing 100% black boxes and people were going, add the shiners. And I was like, what's a shiner? <laughs> uh, and like little things like that. I just had no idea about anything. So I learned very quickly on the job. Didn't even know how to use InDesign, if I'm honest, because I was learning everything in, in, in Photoshop. And so, uh, yeah, learned, luckily I had a, a team of really good sort of in-house designers that taught me and sort of, you know, really helped me build my sort of print experience. And from there, I bounced to another magazine house, met my wife, at, um, Bauer Media. She was on the radio side. So we were sort of working together there. I then went to the Daily Telegraph, which is a national newspaper in the UK. A newspaper guy. Uh, see? Yeah, did loads of print there. Is it the same, I tell you? Parallels. I worked in newspaper for 15 years. Yeah. yeah, so I worked on the marketing team. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I was on the, like, they had like a massive sort of commerce side to the business. They had everything from like newsletters about gardening to sort of travel. So there's all sorts of shit that they were selling. And I was basically doing promotional pages and adverts inside the paper as well as online. So even, and that was like, you know, Sean knows how much pressure that job was. It was a daily national newspaper. The yes. turnover was insane. Yes. So that was a proper sink or swim job. Like if you didn't keep up there, you were just out like, and really long hours, really fast paced. It was kind of, I only, I think I lasted like just over a year before I was kind of so burnt out that I uh, went somewhere else. It was great. It was a great experience and I learned loads and I actually got to, that was my first kind of managerial position where I had a junior and I could take them on and teach them a little bit. Yeah. And then I moved to another newspaper, um, the Times and the Sun as part of their internal marketing team. Oh, wow. And it was worse. I was told that it was going to be like an agency <laughs> space and I would have project managers and, you know, people that would sort of help me out and relieve me from sort of the feeling like it was like clients hitting me every day in the head it was worse it was more more stressful more fast-paced and i lasted uh, six weeks before i left wow I was like, it was it was so bad i'm sure they won't mind me saying but it was just it was just an absolutely soul-destroying role and i was yeah. like what have i done i left a, a pretty high intense job with at least you know colleagues that i liked and got on well with to a place where i was being managed by someone who wasn't so great mm. and the, the high pressure side of things was just brutal so i left and went freelance i went freelance to pay kind of sort of pay the bills while i found another role yeah. and i immediately discovered this freelance life is the tits so um, <laughs> i'm not going back yeah <laughs> so so then your jump like but again you said it did start small like it started slow when you did yeah. freelance from there like you didn't even work agency at all you went magazine to freelance yeah. yes, and again like that jump and then again and so you were doing and you came from a, a layout background so then what were your Kinda, first like yeah, freelance yeah. gigs 
so I was lucky, like, while I was working at some of those magazines, I was freelancing for other departments. So I had a little bit of a sort of relationship with a few of the project managers across a load of different magazines. So when I went freelance, I had a little bit of kind of beer money trickling. But I went, That's this is the point where I went to agencies on a day rate. So I was a freelancer, sort of gun for hire. I went to every single recruiter in London looking for a job. And they were like, we haven't got much in a way of permanent, but if you want some agency work just to kind of fill the gap while you look for something new, there's this, this, and this. And I just, as soon as I got in in that first agency and the agency went back, you know, he's quick, he's efficient. Then word kind of got around and I, I started bouncing around loads of different agencies in London. They, again, were, were pretty fast paced, but another sort of huge learning curve there as well. But I got to, you know, work on some huge campaigns across cool. loads of different big agencies in London and really got some great experience there. So yeah, for a, for a few years, it was a, I was a freelancer kind of gun for hire. I would go into an office, sit in the corner of my laptop and do what they told me. I was usually working on pitches. So, um, you know, I'd go in and help them out in a, in a really fast paced environment for like maybe a week until they eventually pitched. And then I was kind of move on, go somewhere else. So, yeah, it was quite it was really good fun. And then COVID hit, lockdown, everybody started working from home. Yeah. My daughter was born, total slowdown on the work. So I thought, okay, I need to kind of get some retainer clients going here. And it was, again, reaching out. I worked for a restaurant. I worked for a few different brands and had them on sort of rolling retainer. And then thought, you know, this, I basically watched every video by Chris Doe. Okay, so I wanted to learn about the business of design yep. and like how to better sell my services and realized like I wasn't getting as much as I, you know, I could out of this. I could sell myself a lot better. I can manage my time a lot better. And, I, and then his advice was basically, if you've got enough experience behind you, you can niche down into an area and make yourself an expert within that niche. And then people will come to you for certain types of jobs. Because I was Absolutely. under the impression for ages that you had to have this broad set of skills in order to appeal to clients. So you can actually cover everything like yep. web design, print design, logo design. But then by niching down and becoming the expert in one area, it's easier to find clients because they find you more easily. And that's totally what I did. I rewrote everything on my website, decided logo design is the is the way forward now because it was the part of the industry I enjoyed the most. That was the reason I think I went into sort of logo design. I've, I've tried everything. Yeah, no, no, no. Fair enough. So when you were doing retainer stuff, you were doing regular work, banners, month to month type work. Now, the logo side of the world, you know, and again, I'm a huge fan of niche. You know, we niche in a very mm -hmm. different way. While we are still generalists as an agency, we've niched our area of expertise, yeah. like our industry. Yeah. And, and that has worked wonders for us. It's the best thing we could have done. But again, we're still broad offering a breadth of services to a small market where you're offering a very niche service to a big market. So um, I live and breathe retainers. Is your world just hunt to eat? Like you're constantly hunt, kill, eat, hunt. Like, is it, cause it's a, it's a very different world, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You're right. Like, because I had that retainer and I wasn't enjoying that retainer work, if I'm honest. It was for two major clients that I was doing the same kind of work over and over and over yep. again. And I was waking up in the morning to a list of things to do. And it was kind of, if I'm honest, a little bit boring because it was so repetitive. Yep. Whereas the logo design stuff was like pure creation, you know, starting from scratch from a blank canvas, making something for a client and building a brand for someone from scratch. And I was like, Ugh, I love it. You can kind of throw up your ideas and come up with something that's purely from, you know, from your heart. And I, I thought that, Okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make this work, I need to start basically taking this more seriously, and I need to slowly start to fire these retainer clients. And it took a, it took a 
about six months for me to get enough logo design business in to eventually say to this last client, okay, I'm sorry, I can't do any more retainer work for you anymore. It's been great. Thanks for all the, you know, for all the love and, and appreciate it, but I've got to move on to pastures new. And that was fucking scary because I, you know, that was regular monthly income that I just decided to kind of fuck myself and go, you know, I need to like, and if I'm going to do this, I need to actually do it. And, and, you know, firing that client was the first step and it was bloody scary. So that first month where I didn't have that regular paycheck and I was like, Oh, oh shit, I've got to get like a regular logo design work now. Yeah. It was bloody scary. And I mean, was your wife working at that time? Mm hmm. Yep, she was. So she luckily managed to keep her job from the UK while we were here in London. Sweet. So she was working remotely. So yeah, it was all, it was all, I mean, there's a bit of a weird overlap with how it all worked out, but there wasn't much, it was bad for like maybe a month or so. And then things started sort of ticking over. But then, then I think sort of six months after I properly niched, I decided to put my prices on my website because I was getting loads and loads of inquiries from people saying, can you do my logo for free? I've got 50 bucks. Can you do it? You know, and I was like, of course. Yeah. Can I? It's kind of insulting. You know, obviously the, the, at that time, the world of Fiverr, people were just kind of getting them, but absolutely nothing. And trying to argue that with people, the value of it was really, really tough. And so I decided to put like a floor price on my website, which I thought was reasonable. Turned out it wasn't so reasonable and got no leads in two months. And that was fucking scary because my cash flow dried up completely. And I had, I tried everything to kind of sort of solve the wound. I cut the prices in half. That didn't work. I then put some paid advertising behind my website. That was a disaster. And then eventually took them back off again and just got as many sort of incoming leads coming through. And then I'd sort of massage them slowly back to the point where I could get a little bit of money coming in. And this is when you were getting a lot of your leads from your website, not obviously through social. Yeah. Yeah, social, the social thing hadn't taken off yet. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's, it's just the value is hard. I mean, it's impossible to just kind of, you know, base what, a, what the value is of a logo just based on a number, right? And I mm-hmm. can totally see how that backfires. But you did, you offered three packages and you still do have three different packages on there. That's right. Yeah. So the, what I did was there's like a startup professional and deluxe package. I need to come up yeah. with better names for the, yeah. the, the, the <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but the startup, it was like the floor. It was, the, it was like the, uh, it's a logo and a style guide. That's basically all, all you get. And I, I at least sort of throw in a one-page style guide with every logo project so that they at least know the, the hex codes for their company and what their fonts are. So I was giving that away. But, the, you know, essentially it was JPEGs, P, um, EPSs, and PNGs. And, and I was like, okay, that's the price for that. Everything else, anything you want on top of it, inquire for a price. So that floor price, though, was apparently still too much for some people, everybody. And uh, (laughs) it being the internet, they just bounced to a competitor. Do you know what I mean? So it it was a weird... Even when I took the prices off, I still got paid the same. It was just the fact that that first initial inquiry without me getting the opportunity to rationalize why it costs that much and what you're actually getting and actually talk to the client, maybe massage a little bit more out of them. They were just bouncing to a competitor and I got absolutely no work for two months. It was awful. Yeah. And it changed when you got rid of the pricing, you were able to start selling, talking to people, Mm -hmm. selling them the value. So do you also think, do you think it was solely based on price or do you think it's because the human component was missing? Because now obviously if they want the price, they have to reach out, start that conversation, because it's just as much about liking the person, having that connection as it is about the dollar figure, right? Because sometimes I've taken jobs, we've taken jobs, it just, the personality fit wasn't there. And yeah. it just, in the end, it wasn't worth the money, even yeah. if the money was great. Right. There's also projects that I'd missed out on that I probably would have taken on the cheap because they were cool. Like I, I, during that whole period, I won one job and it was a, a lead through Reddit. Yeah. Okay, someone contacted me through one of my posts on Reddit 
at the time I was doing okay doing little time lapse videos of me making logos and a motorcycle club from Texas Ooh. asked me to do their badge and like this is the best job ever I'll yeah. do it wow. you know almost for nothing I think I got like 500 bucks for it or something like that and I was like I'll happily would have taken on jobs like that that were cool and maybe had a bit of a longer lead time in order just to do the project because I just wanted to do it so much so that was really interesting like I got a lead not through my website that totally worked and was kind of willing to do from a totally different source rather than through the website. So it was clear that the website pricing just was not working. Just the psychology of it, you know, that, that seeing that hard price set in stone like that was just off-putting for so many people. There was no chance for me to talk to them. There was no chance for me to kind of rationalize why it costs that much and they would just go somewhere else. So yeah. So what is what is that customer experience with you? Like, obviously it starts with a lead of some sort, whether it's through social. We'll get into that more, of course, because you are the mm-hmm. king of social, but whether it's, it's through social or whether it's uh, from red or whatever, then what does it look like? So they initially, right now, it looks like a form. So yep. I've recently kind of got serious with it. And I was getting so many leads come through and copying and pasting things into an Excel document. It was becoming a nightmare. It goes through a sort of questionnaire form. It's very, very simple though. It's like, who are you? Give me a loose overview of what you're after. Here are some budget ranges. Where do you kind of slot into that? So it's not like it's going to cost this much. Oh, look well, out. It's mm-hmm. like, what is your current budget right now? And so I get an idea for like how big their company is straight off the bat. And from there, if they're serious and the timelines work, then we'll, we'll jump on a call. So that's usually, I'll go back with like a, a sort of ballpark. Okay. If they've set the budget quite low, I'll maybe go, okay, well, you're not quite there in terms of where I'm working. Here's where I sort of the ballpark of where I usually start. If you're willing to, to have a chat about it, let's jump on a call. And that's a much more sort of soft approach and it actually Absolutely. guides people into that. that okay, it's, maybe it's going to cost a bit more, but we can talk about it. And there's areas that I can cut back on. I can reduce deliverables and the timings can extend. And having that conversation rather than a, this is what it's going to cost, it's, it's my way or the highway, is this just will not work. And from there, it's like, you know, the usual is the logo discovery. And then, well, you know, you know how it works. <laughs> so do you find that, um, you know, when they come in at a, at a lower figure than you'd want to work with to start, do you, do you think that it's... It's because they're just trying to lowball. They're trying to get the best for the least yeah. or do you do, eh? And then yeah. so that, that upsell ends up, are you, so you're not selling value. Are you selling additional items? Like how are you bringing that rate up? Kind of, yes. So there's, there's two ways I look at it. A lot of the leads that I get through social are, you, you know, your mom and pop shops or people who are starting up new brands that are, you know, they don't quite have the budget, but I'm, it's not necessarily means that I'm not going to work with them. It just means that they, they might need to ramp up to it and I might need to kind of guide their hands slightly. But then when you get an email from someone and you see, you know, you check them out a little bit and you do your research and you realize these guys have got some cash to spend. That's when I'll tailor that approach slightly and, you know, talk about the value of the logo and, and how that might work for them. It's not a, like a process that's set in stone. Of course. It's- totally depends who reaches out to me and like i say there are some projects where it's so cool let's say it's like a bookstore that's a really new up and coming like kind of brand that i want to be a part of i will totally drop my price to work with them as long as other things kind of sort of swapped out so maybe the timeline extends or we, we work on maybe an exchange of professional services. There might be something, you know, like a tech company and I want some goodies. I'll uh, do it that way. Or a bit of merch. Or, you know, some people or who are consultants. Or a gold bar. There we go. Yeah, you heard that story. A gold bar. That's He's got some gold right. bar. He's like, look, I, I just yeah. got a gold bar for a job. That's awesome. I did a logo for the Finnish gold reservers, an unofficial Finnish gold reserve. It's like a gold um, reseller, recycler, and, you know, storage place in, in Helsinki, Finland. And... 
the gold bar, they, they paid part of their invoice in 10 grams of 24 karat gold. And I got this little package of FedEx from the post. And I posted FedEx. about it. And everyone was like, don't open the package because it devalues the gold. I was like, fuck you, I want to hold it. And I have it in my hands and like, rub it every day if we're luck. And, um, so, yeah. And that was amazing, though. Because I was like, okay, I want some gold. Let's do a little switch of services here. And uh, I think it was the, um, they got uh, some advertising templates, some InDesign templates, and a logo animation in return turn for 10 grams of, of oh, 10 grams. I love that right <laughs> yeah that's amazing <laughs> it's like the things that we do <laughs> yeah right but right. I mean again is is trade a, uh like a is it something that you actively continue to pursue like finding other methods of payment yeah so I, I get quite a lot of designers reach out to me and offer can, can I help you in your in your role and I'm fortunately I have a very good assistant who I've recently hired because things have ramped up so much and I'm, I'm finding that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on doing things like creating brand style guides and templates that are maybe not the best use of my time. time someone is yeah someone has, has started uh, was coming she's a lovely lady called Beatrice and she's from she lives in Germany and she's very she has a very very competitive hourly rate let's just put it that way uh, it's uh, she's amazing and works really really quickly so that's kind of that kind of doesn't work in the design side of things but yeah you know tech companies who've got the goodies and can send me stuff for free I always like that and um, you know like <laughs> gold bars <laughs> that's, that was the big one so yeah I, 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 honestly it totally depends on the client and who they are so that's why I kind of like the the process now whereas I'm it's really tailored and I check each lead individually and I check them out and actually do my own research on them to kind of see whether whether I really want to work with this person or not so is it is it is it just based on price when you just can't get there with a the person or have you found there been other reasons why you wanted to why you just couldn't get to that point I've got a little rule no religion no politics right fair <laughs> fair any, anything that's you know that's too diversive or you know not something that I don't quite agree with I won't do it and it's hard to yeah, absolutely. There's, there's some people like to just charge the, the moon for projects like that when they don't want to do them, but sometimes they say yes, and then you're buggered. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Where they want to pay you 20 grand, and like, oh, I don't really want to work with these guys, but there's so much money. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, so um, it's a small sort of field of people that I won't work with, but, um, you know, I, I do like getting paid, so it's a very small one. <laughs> <window. laughs> wait, 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 wait. Have you, have you actually taken on one of these that you've regretted? No. No, no. I haven't. Okay, yeah, that absolutely so, shuts it down. Yeah. Yeah, shut that down. Yeah, no way. That's funny. <laughs> and yet he, he goes on about Alan Peters, and that's completely the opposite, yeah. right? Because he is mm-hmm. very much, you see him with political, and you do see him yeah. within, you know, his religious circle as well, which is, and you know. But again, his work still, is awesome with but, that too. So. But at the same time, it's an interest for him. Yeah. And he yeah, is yeah, genuinely yeah. interested Spiritual, in both yeah, of those, right? Uh, between the religion yeah. and then between the politics. Yeah. So that makes sense for him, yeah. right? Yeah, his I'm, his work kind of speaks for itself in that regard. Exactly. Like it's it not about the, yeah, it kind of does. It's so inspiring and so reductive that it, he's just like that the king of the badge. And I've chatted with him, and this is one of the great things about my recent success on social is I've got access to people like uh, Alan Peters and James Martin, who are now like my pals. And yeah, that's a, you know a year ago I wouldn't have been able to say that, and now you know I'm getting to hang out with these guys and talk to them on a daily basis and learning from them as well. And uh, you know I, I got to chat. To Alan Peters for a good hour, like he, like you, got, you guys did, and, and I learned so much from that guy. Yeah, you talked to Chris Doe as well. How scary I did. is that? Uh, yeah, Sean's that all scared a, of Chris. I, he frightens me. <laughs> oh, he is. He's bloody intimidating. He's yeah. intense. Yeah. Tell you the story about yes. of what happened. Smart. Uh, it's, it was. 
it was really weird. I have a, um, a pal of mine in the UK runs a, a podcast called He Shoots, He Draws. And I got on his podcast. He knows Chris because he's done events and he's been in a cab with him at one point. And I found out he was going to be, in, Chris was going to be in Brisbane for this conference. And I was like, right, this, he's never, I'm never going to see him again. He's in Australia. He's yeah. like an hour down the road from me right now. Uh, I messaged him on Instagram and he's, he's so, you know, popular on social media. You know, there wasn't a hope in hell of me getting through to him. I spoke to my pal Dave and he was like, oh, I know him. I was dropping my text. I was like, oh, and before I knew it, I was like meeting up with Chris in a hotel lobby in Brisbane before his next flight to move, to go to Sydney. And in between his sort of layover, I got to spend two hours chatting to Chris though. Wow. Um, over coffee. There were some other guys there because he was doing like a sort of come and meet me before I go for the next flight. I got some time to kill. So I was kind of like sitting like, like listening to absolutely <laughs> everything and trying to, you know, get as much as I could out of the guy. And it was, it was amazing. When Dave met him at Adobe Max last year, Dave told Chris about my TikTok, which was sort of starting to ramp up then, and he got him to sign a book, Chris Doe's book, and in the inscription it says, your TikToks suck, try harder, please. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> it was a bit of yeah, a oh. joke, right? So, so when I finally met Chris after this, this inscription, we did, a funny, he, we did a little TikTok video and he totally played along, and we got a picture of me punching him in the face <laughs> for saying that in the book, and <laughs> it was really cool. He's such awesome. a nice guy. Uh, Obviously, hugely intimidating person when you see his videos and his socials. In person, you know, an absolute gentleman. Different person, uh, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant. And and a lot of that, I do feel, is um, persona, you know, what you're putting out to the world, right? Because he does, he he talks about confidence, he talks about arrogance, he talks about, you know, this is, this is, and it's his shtick, right? He is completely different than like, you know, Alan Peters or, you know, Draplin or like varied, and and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But you're right. When you actually sit and talk to the gentleman, with the, to the guy, he's completely different. It's not like he's, he's a goof and he's clowning around. He's very smart and very serious, but he's a lot more that the intensity is down, you know, he's a yeah. lot more approachable. Right. So I do, um, <laughs> he's terrified though. I, yeah, I know. It. It's just yeah. like, I'm watching videos of him well. just undressing yeah. people. And I'm like, I know. Oh. I'm tearing people to show. <laughs> no. And like, I, I rocked up at that hotel and ordered a coffee and I, I said, hello. And he was like, like, hi. Like, wasn't that friendly? And I was like, oh, fucking hell, this is all because it's like a date we've been set up via like, Instagram DMs. He does not want to see me. Uh, this is fucking painful. So I sat down and, and, and over the next sort of two hours, it was, he just totally opened up and there was no pressure. There was no, he wasn't being paid for it or anything like that. He was just sat down, we had a chat and it was really cool. He gave me some advice on the business and uh, it was just amazing. And weirdly now I'm going to get to see him again in October because I'm going to Adobe Max as a speaker. So a Crazy. year later, you know, the dynamic has changed. I'm suddenly the disciple and, and now it's, I've, I've gone up, a, you know, a, a rung in terms of like the, uh, the pecking order. So well, I'm that's be huge well. because again, realistic okay i know we've talked and it sounds like you've been at this for like 10 15 years but you know covid was only two years ago three years Mm -hmm. ago and i mean your climb has been i mean you're speaking at adobe like that's crazy dude Yeah. yeah it's all thanks to social media and like social proof Yes. So I think I think I'm a good designer. I think I've got my yeah. work kind of speaks for itself. But end of interview. Brutal. Brutal. Hang up. No. 
So, um, yeah, so I was really lucky. Okay, so I had, a, I had a project. I entered a few logos into a book called The Logo Lounge, and um, yes. I was lucky enough to get three accepted. And Crazy. That, that's a prestigious book. It's like it's a, yes. yeah, a book that people use for uh, inspiration across the world. Logo designers all over the world will be looking at this. And I was like, that is cool. I need to share this somewhere. I was on TikTok because I was posting, like, time-lapse videos of me making stuff in Adobe Illustrator, kind of just working in the software. My face wasn't on there really at all. I think it was like one video on there where I was in front of camera. But I decided just to pick the phone up and go, guys, check this out. I got in this book. It's fucking cool. I'm really excited. And um, three million people watched it on TikTok. So overnight, my account went from something like, I don't know, like a few hundred followers to like 15,000. Incredible. And immediately my inbox, because there was loads of content on my page with like time-lapse videos of logo concepts that I'd done, my inbox filled with leads overnight. And from that moment on, I've been booked out three months solid ever since. And that was January 2022. So TikTok kind of just sort of ramped up and I thought... That's insane. I've just got more leads in a single day than I have over the last six months. Why have I not been doing this sooner? So I started putting more, way more effort into the, the video content and basically just answering the questions that were coming in the comments. Like, like when someone asked me how I was doing stuff in Illustrator, it's like, what did you do? And I just started explaining it a bit more, talking about the logos that got into the book. And so, yeah, that, that kind of that social trend, like the, the hype train I had to kind of sort of keep going. Later that year... The same thing happened on Instagram. I did a video that hit 12 million views and my Instagram account went from like, I think it was like 8,000 to 120,000 in two weeks. Wow. So yeah, that was mental. Absolutely mental. So yeah, you're right. In the kind of grand scheme of things, it's the last couple of years is where it's really taken off for me on social media. And But because of like social proof, when someone comes to your page and they see you've got 300,000 followers on Instagram, it's immediately like, oh, whoa, 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 who's this guy? And then they take you a lot more seriously. And I think it's just because the, the nature of the content that I make now is all like me being the expert teaching the new designers. It's great for young designers, but it's also amazing when it comes to clients and client leads because they see you as the teacher and the expert. Why not just go straight to the, the teacher? And yeah, my, um, my lead generation now is just like almost all through social media. And it's funny because it's TikTok, like you said, is that still primarily your, your between the two? It's between the two, I'd say. I think it probably is slightly more through TikTok because of, um, I guess it's, that's where I kind of got my start. But I started doing case study videos for like clients. I called it Ticklicks, right? TikTok yeah. client logo case studies. And um, they some of those have really taken off. And when one of, one of them hit more than a million views, and that one, when people see the case studies... And those kind of posts lead to huge amounts of leads. So they come in via mostly kind of social. Instagram, the leads are a little bit weaker because the DMs are a lot more open. Do you yes. know what I mean? People will kind of just message you through Instagram and anybody can kind of get in touch with you. TikTok started doing that recently, but in, before they will not be able to do that. In order to get in touch with you, they've got to go to your website and find out more. Yeah. And by doing that, they're immediately exposed to the rest of your work. And the leads that were coming through TikTok were, were bloody juicy. Like I was getting some really cool projects. So those first projects that I got from TikTok were so cool. I got to do a logo for a 3D print specialist. Um, what else? I got like um, all sorts of bits and pieces. Just like, I think the, the best one, which I did, again did on the cheap, was a logo for a motor racing team in Texas. And in return for doing their t-shirt badge, 
they put my logo on the side of their race car. Oh, so that's that. like, uh, that's, that's, that's cool. an exchange of professional services that I, uh, I'm happy to get on board with. Yeah. So, so this is kind of proof. I mean, the proof, I always thought that TikTok was the last place I ever wanted to put any effort only because I felt, because, you know, I, I thought it was all kids, you know, and yeah. little like, you know, 12, 14 year old, you know, girls, because that's what mine are. And yeah. that's, that's where they spend it. But you're actually getting good qualified leads. You know, you're making money from mm-hmm. TikTok. So obviously yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and, and again, and I think a lot of people are because yeah. I mean, the TikTok has got this very different, and not that Instagram is much different. No. But I think mm-hmm. Instagram seemed to have always been the grown-up version. Yeah. It's a lot more visual where TikTok yeah. wasn't really um, taken as seriously as some of the other platforms. Yeah. One of my colleagues, Michelle, I think put it really well. She, she basically thinks that TikTok is more of like a, gives you kind of more access to people. So it feels more behind the scenes. There's lots and lots of like tradecraft on there and people showing how they do stuff. And there's there's clearly loads of small businesses like TikTok for Business is this massive untapped resource where there there are like-minded professionals wanting to start companies. And I think as well, like because of like COVID and people working from home and and that influx of like small businesses that were started up during the pandemic, that totally led into it. So the amount of juicy leads that come from the app, you'd be amazed. It's not all kids. It's not, you know, it is a young app, obviously, but there are people out there with money to spend. And there are people out there making content like me, raking it in because they're actually focusing on on their marketing as a kind of like behind the scenes look at what they do and again shows them as an expert in their industry by showing what they do behind the scenes and and um it just leads to organic leads that way it's amazing absolutely so i mean this this roller coaster ride for you has been going so fast you haven't even had a chance to hit a a gap have you do you mean like you know there's a there's that lull everybody hits i mean the drop-off rates are crazy you know, in our space, design. whether you're a freelancer, whether you're a graphic designer and then or an entrepreneur. So, you you know, we, a freelance designer has three things going against them. And then again, age also plays a factor to this as well. You haven't had you a chance. I know what you mean. I know what you mean about the guy, like the, the, that window between your skills and your taste and like yeah, your, your yeah, taste right? as a graphic designer is not quite where your skills are. Luckily for me, I've always thought my designs are awesome. So I never felt bad about them. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I know, okay, yeah. I'm so big fucking headed that it didn't really matter. But um, a brash yeah. TikTok attitude. Yeah, you go. <laughs> Confident wanker. Um, yeah, I, I've basically, I've not had that. I, I, I have, like in my, in my former jobs, when I was working in magazines, that's where I've felt that kind of out of my depth and the imposter syndrome and all of that because that when I mentioned I worked in that place where I was learning print on the job and I totally blagged that role I was immediately sunk into the deep end and a couple of instances in in my early career a few of my um work was referred to as like it looks like a powerpoint deck and a, and a shit one like, oh fuck me that is brutal so I've got Ooh, a pretty we've seen some bad powerpoint pretty decks so yeah. wow <laughs> So yeah, it was uh, it wasn't great if I'm honest, but I learned quickly and I took that feedback on and 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 learned from it. And when time came for me to become a freelancer, by that point I had enough experience behind me that it was kind of my speed and my efficiency in the software is what what sold it for a lot of people. I was so fast in packages like Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign that when I went in as a freelancer to an agency, I was flying like and 
turning work over so quickly they couldn't believe it and that's one of been been one of my strong suits is like i work really quickly and it's this is totally fed into this sort of new social the, the content i make for social media because i was so good in the software i can teach it i can teach you how to work quicker in illustrator and and, and that's also become part of my process in, in logo design now is that i work insanely fast in the software to generate ideas quickly and mm. iterate quickly inside illustrator so it's totally played into the freelance role yeah so without schooling, because you did not have any sort of design schooling, which is fine. So I'm assuming you are on the team of you don't necessarily need formal education, formal design training in order to, mm-hmm. to become a designer. Is this the case? Yes and no. I still think like an education is important. And I was university educated and I was lucky that a small part of my module was in that space. So I kind of got to, that was my sort of foot in the door almost. And and that was something that kind of helped when I first got that job in graphic design. But I did learn everything outside of school and and I learned everything through courses that I took after the fact, like a, a few small ones and mostly on the job. So the hard part was getting that first job. And I did that by doing my own portfolio and a bit of the gift of the gab. And once I was in, had my foot in the door that first time, it was a kind of a snowball effect. I think it was the fact that, that I'm so good with software. I'm really handy with computers that it didn't take me long to pick up Photoshop. It didn't take me long to work in, in the new software. And when the print thing came in, I was flying. It didn't, it wasn't, you know, too long before I was sort of running with the big boys. So, um, I think I was just sort of lucky in the fact that I got that first job and that was my my education was learning from other people so I'm a really big advocate of like things like live streams because you can learn by watching other designers work and we don't live in a world these days where we get to sit next to other designers and you know everybody's working from home and working remotely to learn you know in in the sort of best way that I feel is actually to learn from other people the only way to do that is to watch like live streams and I'm a big I like I love live streaming I do that with Adobe and I'll, I'll go and do things like sketch to vector and you know working up concepts in Adobe Illustrator live on camera which is you know it's hugely fun so okay so however I'm not throwing aside anything you're saying but you're you're learning the technical skills you're learning the platforms you were saying you know you've learned on like so everything you've talked about you know technically or it was technical what about a big part of you know design school of course is the history of the design you know the design principles you even did a post once i think you, you did a logo based on the, the perfect fibonacci ratios and such right like yeah. that kind of stuff is usually, you know, what people is. So again, you technically you learned everything live streams and, and people physically mm-hmm. using the tools. That's fine. But what about the other side? Where did you pick that up? Because in all fairness, I razz you about it, but you know, you, your logos are beautiful. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Where is that education coming from? Because that you're not necessarily watching. It's after the fact. It's totally after the fact because my first sort of foray into design was layout. It was digital advertising. It was email newsletters. It wasn't like rocket science. And there was a there was a formula to it. And it was kind of easy to kind of pick up and sort of run with it. When it came to more, the more abstract stuff, I was learning via my other colleagues mm-hmm. who were interested in it. And inside the sort of office space, most of the places that I worked at were really big on knowledge sharing. So when we had a team of designers, like maybe four of us, every you know week we would get together for half an hour and share something cool we found that week and that was massively important so you know it was kind of a bit of pressure as well you had to come up with something every week that was that was sort of the coolest thing of the day and everyone was always trying to win with the you know who showed the coolest thing today but that's how i learned was like learning from other designers and yeah the things like the golden ratio and the principles behind design and color theory and all of that stuff just from the hunger of the industry just picking it up via online and 
I learned in a world of, of YouTube tutorials and LinkedIn learning and was it um, lynda.com lynda.com was where yes. I learned you know most of my stuff I was lucky enough to get an access through that as well so it was like I had enough skill to do you know okay as a junior designer and then learn everything on the job and all of that you know the principal stuff after the fact and then I was like wow of course it works that way I'll use that you know in my work going forward and I just got better and better because of it yeah. So that hunger, you attribute a, a lot of your success design wise to that drive, that hunger of just, you know, curiosity, this mad curiosity to keep improving, improving. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also just like jealousy, you know, <laughs> seeing other designers who, are, who do work that are be- that's better than yours. I'm like, fucking hell, I should be, I need to have my game. Um, that's, that's half of it, honestly, just trying to, in do you my, deconstruct my other people's work and then, and yeah. try to figure out how they do it? Yes, absolutely. Especially like when you see a logo design and you go, oh, I fucking could have done that. How did they come up with that? Yep. And then you look into more about like the processing and like, and, and generating ideas and how to do that. I was lucky actually, I got taught um, a few sort of, I got to be part of a course in my uh, job at magazines and it was all about um, ideation how to be creative and there's some amazing um, ideas in there just you know around sort of word mapping and one really good one was like if you're coming up against a problem you're trying to be creative and come up with a solution to something flip it and do the negative of that so let's say you want to do I can't think of an example now but you, you would take a concept you don't have any ideas you basically start working on the negative of that concept so if there's a meeting that's going on down a pretty dark path and people are kind of shitting all over people's ideas, you can go, right, well, fuck it, we'll just, we'll just be negative for half an hour. And then, uh, you, then you take all of those ideas that are rubbish and the opposite of what you're after, and then at the end of it, flip them back into the positive and see if any sort of new ideas come out of it. So that was quite cool. And it's um, cool. But again, that was, that was lucky um, that I got that to be part of that course as part of my job. And, they, you know, I, I, again, I was also lucky that my job was big on training. So I got access to things like courses like that and you know, LinkedIn learning and lynda.com. Yeah. yeah. So with this being said then, so you're cranking out these logos, you're cranking out logos for these customers because you're niching down into logos. What happens after the sale? Like after you hand that back, do they come back? Do they ask for more? Do you offer more or is that it? That's done. They're dead to me after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move on. The scorched earth approach. I love yeah, it. Give me yeah. my testimonial and get paid. See you later. No, <laughs> it is like, like you said before, it's the, it's the upselling of services. And because I have a background of, of such a wide variety of things, I can offer the world. Like I can do you a website. I can do you a logo animation. Probably not as good as I actually outsource logo animation now because I, I am too slow at it. I can do it. It takes me too long. So I will outsource that. But, Everything else, when it comes to building a brand, I can do. So I use the logo as like the start point of the sale and then upsell services off the back of that. Okay, so if a new brand is starting and they need a new website, I can help them out with the background assets for the site. I can help them out with patterns, implement the new style into their site for them. Mm -hmm. So for something like as simple as a Squarespace site, I just basically set them up with a template and they can then go and run with it. And then all of the print bits and pieces, I can set them up with templates for their adverts or business cards or whatever they need to build their brand and create them a sort of design system and the brand guidelines document on top of that in order to kind of like basically give them the best sort of starting point when it comes to their new logo. So you're taking a logo 
project and you're blowing it up into a bigger deliverable package and such. You're not just delivering. And again, I think we just, we talked about that last week, I guess, uh, on the podcast. It's just, it's not just, here's your logo, Mm -hmm. see you Mm -hmm. later, you know, give me a hundred thousand dollars type idea, right? There is so much more rollout that people don't realize, you know, they hear these stories about BP paying $200 million for a new logo or, you know, right. (laughs) It's not really how it works, you know, but there is, there is the backside on this that people, I, I don't think that they're trying hard enough for. They're just taking it for granted. They're kind of handing over that JPEG and saying, see you later, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's what, exactly what I used to do. When I very first, you know, my, one of my first logo projects, I was like, here's your JPEG in an email. Uh, that'll be 50 bucks. I was like, yes. <laughs> Nailed Sweet. it. I'm, I'm a designer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then realized quickly, like, it's, all, it's about the sort of the value that they feel like they're getting allows you to charge a bit more. But, you know, not just the logo files themselves, but everything it, it takes to actually build out this brand if you actually want to take it seriously. And in today's world where you need a website and you need a social media presence, you need a designer to help you with that. Otherwise, it just looks like crap. And, and that's where I come in. So, yeah, like I say, the logo designer niching thing is almost like a SEO tool so that it's the sort of start point of that journey. And then I can build out from that and add more services on top of it. And some people like to call themselves like brand designers. I specifically don't do that because I find that calling myself a logo designer kind of cuts the bullshit and they know what they're getting at the start of the project. And it's more of a sort of SEO friendly term. Like if you meet someone at a party and you say, what do you do? And you say, I'm a, I'm a brand strategist or I'm, a, you know, and they have no idea what you're talking about. And they say, oh, I design logos. Like, oh, right. Yeah. I'll get you. So um, I kind of, I kind of treat that the same so way with clients. Yeah. Like, it's it's true, the start of the, of the process is, is I'm a logo designer. If you need more, I can help, but yeah, let's just start there. And that's how it's worked. Yeah. That's so great. sustainability wise, long-term though, like you're one person. And you are proudly one person, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's it's like you're a freelancer and, and you 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 own that. How limiting is that going to be, though, if all of a sudden they keep coming back, a company, and you want to stay away from the retainer work, which is, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I can understand why in some points, but if they're coming back for more and more, when's the breaking point? Yeah, it's a tough one. And, and it's probably because I'm, the success of the logo design side of the freelance business is kind of relatively new. I am in a bit of like an inflection point right now. Like, do I scale this up and go agency and hire on a team, which I could, if I'm honest with you, I could do tomorrow just from the amount of leads that I'm getting through. And some of the leads I'm losing because my waitlist is too long. On the flip side, it's like, I love this freelance life and I've set I've given myself sort of like a lifestyle business now and it's quite comfortable. And do I really need to scale this thing? I live a a lovely life. I get to deal with clients directly. I do the work that I enjoy the most. I'm still working with the people that I want to work with and being really creative. And it's a toss up, you know, it's like, I'd I'd love to earn more money. There's other ways though I can do that. And, And I feel like I'm like, a few years behind James Martin, right? You know, he's, he's a pal of mine now. He's, it's great, you know, being able to follow people like him because I can just watch what he's doing and just yep. follow him <laughs> yes. career path directly behind his, uh, yeah. on, <laughs> on his bootstraps. So, um, it's interesting. Like I, I've sort of started the process. Like I mentioned, I hired a, um, an assistant and that's the, that's the, that was a big step for me and a sort of, um, you know, a retainer basis. But it's been amazing having that resource and I'm kind of kicking myself like, why did I not do this sooner? Doing things like exporting logos, generating brand guidelines, documents, rolling out social media templates and cover photos and things like that. That's not a great use of my time. And I've been completely controlling that whole process. 
and doing everything myself. So when a Lego project is ready to be delivered, it's another day or two before they can have it because I'm doing everything on my own. Now I give that to my assistant who also is in another time zone. So when I leave at the end of the day and when I wake up the next morning, the job is done, which is even better. So it's just, I kind of, I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do that sooner. So yeah, like I say, it's like an inflection point right now. I could hire a few more people and scale this thing up or do I kind of keep it comfortable and, um, you know, live the life that I'm living and enjoying right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're like the poster child for freelance right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people look to you for that yep. kind of motivation that help because you're showing it can be done. Do you think it changes the authenticity if you go the other way? Uh, yes and no, probably not. I'd say because there are freelancers out there who earn hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and there, there are ways to do it, but it's just the nature of my business at the minute is that I either raise my rates in order mm-hmm. to kind of be more successful that way. And I found pricing is really kind of, it's a weird one. It's like a constantly in motion thing, like depending on like, is there a recession going on? Is there a you know cost of living crisis? It's always adjusting and I bring my rates up and bring them down and kind of depending on that. I found a bit of a sweet spot with it now. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because like there are other routes that I could go down now that I'm in this sort of social media space to kind of like diversify my income a little bit. And it's slowly starting to happen with the education and the sort of the online training and the bits and pieces that I do on social media is basically just showing people how to do stuff in Illustrator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I could do that more, for, do that more formally and, you know, maybe get, you know, paid and do some digital products and that kind of thing. So it, like I say, it's so new to me that this is like, do I actually put more focus on this right now and kind of scale up that way? Or do I go the other route and, and focus on the actual business and the agency side of things and, and make more money that way? So yeah, I'm completely undecided right now. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and James Martin has an interesting setup, right? Because although he has like a front where he almost looks and, and acts and his his own personal brand almost makes him feel like a one man show. But then he's mm-hmm. got Baby Giant, mm-hmm. which is really yeah. the agency side, which he's it sounds like he's going to be growing a little bit as well with, a, yeah. you know, with and how that's going. So it's um he, he's kind of living the best of both right now. Yeah. So there's like, there's like, there's me, there's James Martin and there's Chris Doe. Okay. And Chris Doe was like a former like agency owner. And now he's removed all the client work and has gone completely into the education and public speaking space. There's James Martin who literally this morning announced on his newsletter that he's doing the same thing. He's going into the education space, but baby giant will still run. And then there's me down the bottom. It's like, can I, can I teach you some stuff too? Uh, and I'm not quite sort of there yet as well. So yeah, I'm still, I'm enjoying the client work at the minute. Let's, I'm going to keep it ticking over for Well, a and you're longer. so damn early at this. And this is where it's just, it's just mind blowing. Cause again, your success in the short amount of time is, I mean, people work a lifetime to kind of get to this level mm. where you do have really good quality, but even more than that, your presence is massive. Like you are being asked to speak at places where people will, you know, People like Christo work 20 years just to get that clout. Mm-hmm. So do you ever kind of sit back and be like, how the hell this happened? Like, do you ever feel this imposter syndrome where you're like, I've just been at this just for a little a while and yeah, I'm yeah. right next to someone like Christo. I know that, that was a huge moment for me being asked to speak there. And I'm not going to lie. I went out there and fucking requested it. Like I, I, I messaged a lot of people in, in order to try and get there. It was mainly just because I wanted to go. Yeah, on the free. Uh, I didn't want to pay my <laughs> ticket for uh, to LA to get there, and then it turns out I'm now a, I'm a speaker, and I'm not only speaking, but I'm like straight after the keynote on day one, right in with um, a group of other people who you know it's like literally straight after that huge auditorium where everyone's really hyped up and like let's go, 
they're going to come out into my talk and be like, oh, what the fuck is this? So yes, there's an imposter syndrome. It's scary as hell. Yeah. And I'm working on the talk right now. And, and this morning, actually, I caught up with the guys for the first time, the people that I'm sort of sharing that session with. And it's amazing. Like, they're, they're such a great bunch. And I've done a lot of work with Adobe over the last year or so. And they're an amazing partner. They, they've got great sort of culture. The staff is, is so much fun to work with. And they've got money to spend, if I'm honest. They really are putting fistfuls of cash behind products like uh, Adobe Express and then the new packages that are coming out and all of the, the AI stuff that's coming in. So they're just like the perfect partner. And being asked to speak at Max is just a dream come true. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I saw my, my picture go up and I'm next to Aaron Draplin and underneath Chris Doe, I was like, fuck me. Right? What have I done? <laughs> uh, you've earned it, buddy. And I think that that's the perfect place on where to end our first half of our interview with the one and only Mr. James Bernard, our friend from Down Under. But not really Down Under because he's actually from the UK and he's moved to Australia and, you know, maybe pretends to be Australian, you know, because it's cool. I don't know. But nonetheless, I love razzing the guy about it. Um, you know, the reality is he's a fantastic guy and there was a lot of really good things that we talked about this first half. But two things that actually stood out for me were, number one, his path. His path was so different to becoming a graphic designer than, than a lot of other people's paths. You know, some people traditionally go to school and then after school, junior designer, junior designer, into a regular designer, into senior designer, whatever. He went to school for something completely different, entered the job market, somehow found his way in through, you know, hacking together a couple WordPress, you know, themes and building intranets. And then just, again, just constantly works his way through to being, you know, what he is today, which is, you know, kind of a really popular celebrity designer. And he's actually a really good designer too. The the key here is, isn't exactly the journey he took, but it was passion led. Like he said, you know, he, he was, he was so into it every single step and his learning, you know, came from, you know, his, his just curiosity, his passion, you know, and the fact that he'd watch other people and be like, shit, that's really good. Why can't I do that? that? So, you know, number one, passion will take you everywhere in this space. It, it helped me, it's helped Sean, and it's obviously helped James. And number two, which I thought was really interesting, was the impact social media had on 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 his career. You know, talking to James and, and seeing his journey and finding, you know, how SEO only took him so far and then it dropped him on his ass and, and the rest was up to him. Um, how, how social media then catapulted him to that next level. And I think social media is something that, you know, Everybody does it a little differently, but I think, you know, we all generally probably undervalue the importance of it, you know, as designers, you know, most of us are just using it as portfolio pieces, which, yeah, that seems a really practical way of using it, but the way James is using it and some of the other people that that, that we've had on the show, um, you know, they're using it to promote themselves, not necessarily just the work that they're doing, and that seems to elevate their social media game. So um, stay tuned for the next episode because we're going to be going into much more detail into the social side of of his business, his life, you know, some practical tips on on what we can use to actually, you know, propel our social careers going forward as designers. And uh, again, a whole bunch of great stories. I mean, there's some really fun surprises on this one that that I kind of, I can't wait for you to hear. So please come back next week, listen to part two. And as always, please share us with anybody, you know, leave us a review because those always help, you know, share us with people that you love and hate and, you know, say hi on the platforms. We're, we're having so much fun, you know, replying to everybody on Instagram. And my name is Massimo and I'm signing off on behalf of myself, Sean and James. Stay creative and stay angry. Peace. Why 
so violent? I don't get it. 